Thank you uh, for joining me tonight. I'm reading Shaking the Nickel Bush by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1962. We're on Chapter 15, City Slickers. Lord God, you are mighty over all the earth. You who created and spoke everything into existence, who formed man and woman and, and have given us even our own lives, our own offspring. Lord, I uh, thank you for watching over Oliver and his leg healing. Uh, pray for Elena that you heal her body. And uh, Lord, there's so much going on uh, in the family. And we're just grateful that you sustain every child, every grandchild. In Jesus' name, amen. When we had left Arizona, I had three jobs lined up ahead of me. I'd promised one kindly, kindly old banker that I'd make a bust of his son-in-law, who, if he told me, was a very prominent El Paso attorney. And I'd promised two others to stop on our way and make busts of friends of theirs, one at Lordsburg and one at Deming. We stopped three days in both towns because it took that long for the plaster to dry. But we weren't fortunate enough to find a little canyon where we could hide away for our work. So I thought it would be best to take hotel rooms. It wasn't. The trouble was that Lonnie didn't have anything to do. With shiftless all fixed up, he couldn't spend more than an hour a day on her, polishing the body, the brass on the radiator, and even the engine. He never read, not even the headlines in the newspaper. So it was hard for him to amuse himself when I was busy, too busy to talk. He got along pretty well our first forenoon in Lordsburg because he was able to round up a couple of little audiences on the sidewalk and tell about his being an artist and making the finished product, the actual marble bus we made for bankers only. But Lonnie didn't have too much imagination. He was never able to expand his original story, and it wore out quickly in a town the size of Lordsburg. When he could see, when he could no longer scare up an audience, he slouched around our room, wanting me to talk to him and nearly driving me out of my mind. It wasn't hard to do, for the light in the room was poor. It wouldn't reflect off the moist clay as it should, and I was having trouble in bringing out the expression I wanted. The money I had stashed away in the cuff of my new Levi's was my own personal savings account, but I had about $40 more, along with some change in one of the pockets. I'd worn the Levi's when I went to see the banker that morning, but when I got back to the hotel room, I'd stripped down and put on a cut-off pair before starting on the clay model. When Lonnie had pestered me for nearly an hour, I lost my patience a bit, went to the closet where my Levi's were hanging, rammed the hand in the pocket, and said, Here's some change, Lonnie. Why don't you go see a movie? I'd intended to give him a handful of change, but there were only a few small coins in the pocket. So I peeled what I thought would be a dollar bill off the roll. Lonnie was standing right behind me when I jerked it out and turned and passed it toward him. I wouldn't have noticed that the bill was a five instead of a one if Lonnie hadn't brightened up when he took it. He hurried out of the room like a little kid who's been given a nickel and is bound for the store to buy candy. With Lonnie out from under my feet, the poor light didn't bother me as much as it had, but not for long. He couldn't have gone, been gone more than 15 minutes before he was back, looking more sad and lonesome than before. The movie don't open till 6 o'clock, he told me. I should have had better sense, but I wanted to be rid of him while I was working on that clay, so I said... You're a pretty good-looking guy, and you've got a pretty fancy automobile. I think you could find yourself a girl you could take for a ride. Take her for a good long one. Buy her some supper. And take her to the movies when you bring her back. Lonnie's face lit up like a mountain that's, had, that's just been touched by the morning sun. Honest, buddy. Would it be all right, he asked excitedly. 
Sure, sure would, Lonnie had told him. You've got a five there. That ought to do the trick. Lonnie was out of that room in less than two seconds, and I thought I'd seen the last of him until time for the movie to let out. But I hadn't. In about 20 minutes, he was back, smelling like a dance hall girl who has passed her prime. He must have been to the dime store for perfume and stopped at the bathroom down the hall to plaster it all over himself. His face was scrubbed till it shone like copper. His new hat was cocked on one side of his head, and his new boots were sparkling. <clears throat> he strutted back and forth across the room for a couple of times, stopped squarely in my light, and asked, Say, buddy, shouldn't a man ought to buy a lady a box of candy when he takes her to the theater? It sounded to me as if he were leading up to making up to make a touch beyond the five I'd already given by mistake. So I said, No, not if he's going to take her to dinner first. Either way is fine, but I won't do both. I wouldn't do both. Lonnie was never under my feet again when I, I had to work in a hotel room. But it cost five dollars each time. Uh, but it cost and even five dollars a day for gas, oil, dinners, and movies. The only reason it didn't cost more was that I made five his limit. With three days in a town to make a twenty-five dollar bust, we just about broke even. It took most of the other ten for room, rent, and meals. The ones we had when Lonnie wasn't entertaining a lady. Between Las Cruces and El Paso, there were nearly a dozen towns along the Rio Grande where I believed I might find jobs, but we didn't stop at any of them. In the first place, I was almost out of materials, and El Paso was the only place within hundreds of miles where I could find the right kind of plaster of Paris, real modeling clay, and the kind of clay and plaster tools I needed for doing a good job. Then too, I knew others would be, I knew there would be a letter from home waiting for me there. But the thing I was most anxious about was making the bust for the very prominent attorney. From what his father-in-law had told me, I knew there would be no chance of my getting a picture, then hiding away to make the clay uh, model in some little canyon. I'd have to make it with the attorney sitting for me, and I'd never tried one from a live model without Ivan right there to tell me where I was making a mistake. I worried about it all the way from Deming to El Paso, and the more I worried about it, the more nervous I became. I didn't know whether the old banker had written his son-in-law that I was just an artist cowboy, and I didn't know how to act any other kind. Before we reached the city, I'd made up my mind to, to two things. I was going to buy myself a suit of clothes before I went up to see the attorney, and I was going to rent as good a room as I could get in the best hotel I could find. I'd pay whatever I had to for a corner room with big windows on the northwest corner if I could get it, so I'd have just the right light and a dignified place to make the gentleman to take the gentleman for his sittings. As we were pulling into El Paso, I changed my mind again and decided it would be better to rent a suite, a corner one that had a door for the hall to both the bedroom and the parlor. Then, if Lonnie couldn't find anything to do, he could stay in the bedroom while my client was waiting for me in the parlor. And I'd buy my suit first and a suitcase so I wouldn't look too much like a hick when I went into the hotel to rent the suite. The more I thought about it, the more it seemed the right thing to do. But there wasn't any sense in diving right in and renting the suite the first day. It would be better to take just an ordinary room in a reasonably cheap hotel for one day. That would give me time to buy the supplies and tools I needed and to have the suit of clothes altered if, I didn't, if it didn't fit me exactly right. On second thought, I made up my mind that it would be only sensible to keep the room in the cheaper hotel for all three days we'd be in town. We wouldn't leave our saddles. We couldn't leave our saddles, bedrolls, and all the rest of our stuff in shiftless safely, even if we put her in a garage. 
And it seemed to me that we'd look terribly silly if we went lugging that sort of stuff into a suite in a top-notch hotel. To save one night's hotel bill, we camped eight or ten miles outside El Paso and drove into the city early in the morning. <coughs> we found a fairly good room in a respectable hotel for $2 a day. And after we'd moved into it, I told Lonnie to go see the town while I went to find the tools and supplies I needed. I didn't tell him anything about my going to buy a new suit. Not that I wanted to keep it from him, but just because I didn't think about telling him. Then, when everything had been carried up to the room, I peeled him a five from the doodling roll in my pocket and said, Have a good time. I'll see you back here at noon. I'd expected that I'd have to hunt all over town to find the tools and supplies I needed, but I didn't. I found them all in a combination store that sold books and stationery and artist supplies. It didn't take me more than half an hour to pick out the tools I wanted, and the storekeeper sent a couple of boys to lug the plaster of Paris and clay back to the hotel for me. I went along to let them into our room, and then started down the street to find myself a suit of clothes. That was easier than I expected, too. At the first clothing store I went into, I found a slim gym suit that fitted me pretty well, except that the arms and legs weren't too short, were too short, and it was only twenty-two fifty. Then I got a tailor a few doors farther on to lengthen the arms and legs for a dollar. He said he'd have the suit ready for me by 11 o'clock. While I was waiting for my suit to be altered, I went to the post office and found a letter from mother waiting for me at the general delivery window. The first part of the letter just said that everybody at home was well and that Dr. Gagan was very much pleased with my report cards and the regularity with which they were coming through. Then there were two or three pages telling me how delighted and proud she was that I'd been able to find myself such a fine job with big cattle, with a big cattle company, one that fully appreciated my worth and was sending me all over the country to look after their herds. Over and over, she again, she cautioned me to be careful about riding rough horses in, any, in my condition or spending too many hours in the saddle without rest. And she was worried for fear I was sending home so much of my paycheck that I was keeping myself strapped. She said there was no need at all for it, that they were getting along nicely, and that she wanted me to keep a few dollars by me for a possible rainy day. The farther I read, the more ashamed of myself I was for all the lies I'd written her, but I couldn't write her the truth. Of course, she'd known that I'd whittle horses ever since I was big enough to carry a jackknife, and she knew I'd roomed with an artist when I was at the munitions plant, but a preacher couldn't have made her believe I'd been earning I'd been earning as much as $25 a day as a portrait sculptor. If I ever wrote her anything of the kind, she'd be positive it was a lie. She'd be worried sick for fear that in desperation over my health, I'd turn to banditry, and she'd never believe another word I wrote as long as I lived. There was only one thing I could do, and that was some more lying. I bought a stamped envelope and a pad of paper, then stood at least stood at one of the high desks in the post office and wrote a bunch more fairy tales. I told her our boss was very much pleased with the job we'd done, had raised both my partner's pay and mine, was sending us north along the Rio Grande River, probably as far as Santa Fe. I wrote that we'd expected it to be late spring before we got there because we'd have to move the cattle slowly and make, and much as I liked my bosses, I planned to quit my job at Santa Fe. That would leave me within less than 300 miles from Littleton, and I'd promised to be there in time for the 4th of July roundup. I added a few lines about getting to see all our old friends as soon as I reached Colorado, then bought a $50 money order, folded it inside the letter, and mailed it. On the way back to pick up my suit from the tailor, I bought myself a white shirt and sort of conservative necktie 
Then I thought about buying a pair of dress shoes, but there didn't seem to be much sense in it. My boots were almost new, and the pants legs would come down far enough to cover the tops. It seemed better to spend what spare time I had getting a haircut and shampoo. I hadn't had one since we left Phoenix, and was getting a little ragged around the edges. Of course, I knew my hair was had bleached from out a bit from the working bare head in the sun, but when the dust was scrubbed out of it, it looked nearly as white as snow, probably because my face and neck had tanned so dark. Then, too, it had dried out so badly that it stuck up like the fur on a scared cat's back. I had to have the barber put some oil on it, and I guess he took me for a backcountry boy. He charged me a quarter for no more than a teaspoon of oil tonic. Maybe I got my money's worth out of him anyway. When he was cutting my hair, I asked him where I could buy a fairly good suitcase without spending too much for it. Juarez, he told me. Leather goods are cheap on the Mexican side of the line. Watch out for the pickpockets over there. They're thicker than fleas. It was about half past 11 before I got back to the hotel, but Lonnie wasn't around, so I went down the hall and took a bath, then put on my new clothes to surprise him. He might have been surprised when he came in, but he wasn't happy. Jeepers, creepers, buddy, he said. I'll look like a bum. Us traveling around with you all slicked up the likes of that, and me in overalls. I won't be wearing these clothes when we're traveling around, I told him. The only reason I bought them is that I'm going to make a bust of a fine gentleman, and we're going to take a suite in the best hotel so I'll have a dignified place for the sittings. Lonnie looked sorrowfully at his reflection in the mirror and asked, We're going to take it? Or you're going to take it. Lonnie was trying to look sorrowful. sorrowful. He never could look any way other than he felt. But anyone would have thought he'd lost his last friend on earth. We're going to take it, Lonnie, I said. You're my buddy, aren't you? If you want a city slicker suit, there's no reason you can't have it. Wait till I hang up these working duds and we'll go see what we can find. As I said it, I picked up my Levi's with two fifties and one of the twenties still folded inside the cuff. I fiddled around in the closet till I'd fished the money out. Then we went to buy a suit for Alani. It wasn't an easy job. He wouldn't even try a jacket on till he'd found a suit almost exactly like mine, light gray with a dark pencil stripe. And that was in a fancy store where they charged $27.50. It was in the middle of the afternoon before the tailor had Lonnie's suit altered to please him. And as soon as he'd put it on, we crossed the bridge into Mexico. I'd only intended to buy a suitcase in Juarez, but the shops were full of hand-tooled leather goods, and with a little haggling, the prices were a lot cheaper than in the United States. While I was dickering for the suitcase, Lonnie found a real nice tooled leather handbag that he wanted to buy for his sister in Wyoming. It was a good bargain, so I told him to go ahead and buy it. Then I bought one just like it for Mrs. Larson, one for Mabel, and some little trinkets for everyone at home. We mailed everything from Juarez so the packages would have the little the foreign postmark on them, but I didn't notice the address Lonnie wrote on one on the one for his sister. But I didn't notice. Okay, I couldn't forget what the barber had told me about pickpockets and was too busy trying to address my own stuff while I kept one hand on my roll. I made up my mind right then and there that I'd never let myself be caught that way again. If the money had been left right in the cuff of my Levi's, hanging in the hotel closet, it would be as safe as if we were in a bank. No thief would ever steal a pair of jeans the size of mine, and nobody would ever think to look in the cuffs. I had only one fifty and a ten left when we got back from Juarez, so I didn't want to pay an extra night's rent on the hotel suite. Still, I couldn't phone the attorney and tell him where to come for a sitting until I knew the number of the suite. The only thing I could do was to go and make a reservation. The clerk said I need only a sitting room, not a suite, but even at that, the price was $8 a day. 
As soon as I'd made the reservation, I called the attorney, but I didn't like his voice or what he said. When I told him who I was, he snapped, Oh, the artist fellow. You may call my office tomorrow morning at 10 sharp. Then he said, Sharp. A second time. Gave me the address of his office and hung up. After supper, Lonnie wanted us to go out and do, and do the town, but I got him to settle for a movie instead. The one he picked was a rip-roaring cowboy and Indian picture, and there were some pretty good horse falls in it. They were in two short strips, spliced into a half-hour film. But they were taken at the Wickenburg movie lot. I recognized the location the instant it was flashed on the screen and a couple of the Hollywood Cowboys horses, but I couldn't be positive about any of the fall riders. Lonnie swore that one of them was me, so we stayed to see the picture a second time, even though I knew he was wrong. Both runs had been made on the flat set, and I took all my falls on the one that plunged down the mesa side. The next morning, Lonnie helped me carry an armature, the clay, and my new tools over to our sitting room. Then I gave him $5 and told him to enjoy himself while I was busy with the attorney. Life is getting complicated for Ralph. Lots of people to take care of to please, and Lonnie sure knows how to uh, manipulate him, doesn't he? It's the kind of friend to watch out for so that you don't get taken advantage of by somebody who wants just to um, do everything you do. So I love you guys. Have a great night.